0: We begin a new series of Sunday conversations today, a new sermon series. We're calling it Faith People. There's a text in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians, we've made mention of it many times, you've heard it at weddings, it's that great chapter on love, that chapter where Paul describes the wonderful attributes of love and what it is and what what it is and he ends with those words these three things remain faith hope and love and the greatest of these is love well with a tip of the hat to Ricky Bobby uh, we might ask what does that make faith the first loser and maybe that's where, how we've tended to treat faith as a concept. In fact, we might even say, why do a sermon series on faith that seems so churchy? Doesn't everybody already know about faith? Well, let me give three quick reasons why I believe it's important for us that we would spend this time, this season, uh, taking a look at faith. The first of it is the clear role that uh, faith has in the Christian experience, the undeniable role. Listen to what the Bible says about faith. Jesus, on multiple occasions, said, your faith has made you well. We're told in Scripture, in the New Testament, we're saved through faith. We're justified by faith, that the righteous live by faith, that we're counted righteous through faith. By faith, we obtain access to God's grace. Through faith, we become sons and daughters of Abraham. We also become sons and daughters of God through faith. We're raised through faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. The outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls. We're guarded through faith for salvation. Our faith is the victory that has overcome the world. And then the New Testament in other places calls us to action around faith. It says, walk by faith, excel in faith, take up the shield of faith, fight the good fight of faith, pursue faith, be sound in faith. And yet the New Testament also speaks that not all faith is the same. It says that there are some that have sincere faith, and others are celebrated for their faith. But then there are those who are of little faith. Or weak in faith. Or who make a shipwreck of their faith. Or abandon their faith. Or don't have faith at all. Faith is undeniably important to the Christian experience. The second reason that we're going to spend a little time examining faith in the coming weeks. Is that faith functions as a conduit to our belonging, faith functions as the conduit of our belonging to God. We just finished up a series of conversations in which we looked at what it means to belong to uh, to God. That our only comfort, our greatest strength in life and in death, body and soul, is that we belong. That I belong, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, that conduit, and if you're uh, science fiction uh, geek, um, you might think of a wormhole, right? That, that the wormhole of our faith. God is all around. God is near, but in just a, uh, an incredible other dimension as well. And, and God uh, establishes this, this connection with us, this wormhole, and, and that wormhole is faith, that conduit of our belonging, that connection we have with God. It's not just belief, but it's this willful submission, this trust in the living God. It functions as the conduit of our belonging. The third reason would be that faith um, has an incredible dissimilarity with an artificial plant. I'm sure that was the third on your list as well. You know what we do with artificial plants, right? We, we bring them in for just a little bit of decoration. And, and we put them uh, somewhere in the house where it's not too obvious and we, we don't really do much with it. We might dust it off from time to time. And so with our faith, maybe we just let that be in our corner, and we don't give it much thought. And every now and then we dust it off. Maybe around Christmas or Easter we dust it off. But it never grows. We never tend it. That's not the picture of faith in Scripture. Faith, much more like a real plant, needs tending. It's intended to grow. It, it, It responds to the light of God. And you know how plants, they can take in the carbon dioxide and they can then produce um, uh, oxygen and they breathe life into the air. And our faith is intended to breathe life into the air. So we will spend some time focusing time and energy. Not just here in this encounter, but my encouragement is for all of us in these weeks to, to take the time to examine our faith. We're going to do it by taking a look at the various shades of faith, the various shades of faith. We're going to look at some Old Testament characters, and for some of them, we're going to catch them on a really good day. And there will be some things that are a part of their faith experience that will we'll go, I, I long for that in my own life. But there will be other days where we will look at some bad times, some, where, where we catch them on a bad day, and, and we see the other shades of faith that... That might then connect with us and we can learn from their experience too. Today we're going to talk about covenant faith. Covenant faith. Our uh, text is Genesis 15 verses 1 through 6. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it and uh, we'll read the scripture. Uh, Genesis 15, 1 through 6. Hear the word of God. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not. Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me, for I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. May God bless the reading of his word and may God bless our time together as well. Is there a promise of God that you wish He would keep in your life? Is there something you've read in Scripture you go, God, I hear you promising that, but I'm not experiencing it. Maybe it's one of these. In the Bible we we read, come to me and I will give you rest. And you will find peace for your souls. Maybe we're not experiencing rest or peace. The Bible says, Christ says, My grace is sufficient for you. Are we finding God's grace sufficient? We're told in the text that those who hope in the Lord will soar on wings like eagles. Are you soaring on wings like eagles? We're told, I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. It says that we're to ask God and He will give us wisdom. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Are there prayers that you've been asking of God and you're still waiting for His answer? The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. So, maybe there's some promises we're saying, God, you, You've promised. You've promised. And, and so, if we're not experiencing the fulfillment of those promises, maybe we've taken our faith and just let it kind of go off to the side. We have found our other, uh, our other path, our plan B, our Eliezer of Damascus. Maybe if it's not a promise of God, maybe there's a vision that we have for our lives, That's unmet by God. Something that we feel is reasonable and fair. That God, you have the power to accomplish these things. This is reasonable of me to expect. Fair of me to expect. And you have the power to bring it about. But it's not happening. Maybe we long for the freedom. For freedom from anxiety. Or freedom from anger. Or abuse or discord or fear. And we just want freedom. Maybe we long for a friend or friends that that actually love us, not for what they can get out of us, but a friend that just loves us for who we are. And yet one doesn't show up. Maybe we've longed for a good and healthy marriage and we've prayed for that, we've worked toward it, and yet it just doesn't seem to be a reality for us. Or maybe we long to be married, and and God hasn't answered that prayer. Or maybe we long for a a rich single life, and, and it feels like we're always, always the third wheel out. Maybe we've longed for a good, rewarding job, or steady income, or health for ourselves and our loved ones. Maybe we've had this vision for a long retirement with the with a person we love. And we're saying, God, this is reasonable and fair. Why aren't you providing these things? We could describe this as an experience of being barren, empty, scarcity. Well, here's where we take a look at the story of Abraham. And as we enter in the story of Abraham, I, I want to... I, I, just state out loud that there's a commentary by Walter Brueg- Brueggemann on the book of Genesis that is just outstanding. And he has such pastoral insights, such exegetical insights. And so even as we gather around this word, uh, um, please know we're standing on his shoulders too. And, and, and I'm very thankful for the research and the work that he put in on the text. So what do we know about Abraham? First, his name was Abram. And that's what we read in our passage today. God eventually changes his name to Abraham. God comes to Abram and says, I want you to leave your land, leave your family, and I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to be made. I'm going to make you into a great nation. In fact, all the families of the world are going to be blessed through you. So Abraham leaves. He leaves his home. He leaves his family. And at one point, he ends up in Egypt. There was a family. He ends up in Egypt. And he becomes incredibly wealthy. He returns from Egypt and uh, he rescues his nephew Lot. Lot was taken captive. and, And so he goes after Lot and he rescues him. In the process, he's victorious and even becomes more wealthy, wealthier. And he's blessed by Melchizedek. So if you look at Abraham's life at this point, you go, that's a pretty adventurous life. You've traveled. You've grown in wealth. You've had victory. So God comes to Abraham. The word of the Lord comes to Abraham. And we hear him say, fear not. Fear not. Now, we know the the whole story. We get to read the whole of Genesis, and and we know that there's something that's going on, that that there's this experience of barrenness in Abraham's life, that God had made this promise, but but Abraham had no son. God comes to Abraham after all these incredible things that had gone on and said His first word is, fear not. He says, I am your shield, the Lord God. Can you imagine the Lord God, the God of the universe coming to you and saying, fear not, I am your shield, and your reward is very great. One of the things that Brueggemann and other commentators point out is that the idea of reward here is not a, something that Abraham had earned. It's not a, a quid pro quo. It's, a, it's a, a God choosing out of his own grace to recognize Abraham. He says, your reward, I'm going to recognize you. Out of my grace, I'm going to recognize you, and it's going to be incredibly great. But if we think about it from Abraham's standpoint, he goes, fear not. You're my shield. Great is my reward. There's a very real aspect of this for Abraham, that these are empty, hollow, words we find it in his response in genesis 15 verses 2 and 3 we read but abram said O lord god what will you give me for i continue childless and the heir of my house is eliezer of damascus just a little bit of bible background that that is Abraham became wealthier. He collected servants along the way and he added to his household hundreds of people. And so here this one individual, Eliezer of Damascus, would be the one that he would turn over his estate to if he died without a child of his own. And so this is Abraham's plan B God, you've made this promise to me, and am I going to have to settle for plan B? Am I going to have to settle to to give my property away? And when it came time for Eliezer to die, it would have gone on to Eliezer's family. Abraham continues and he says, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Empty, hollow words from God. I am your shield. Great is your reward. And all Abraham can see is, but I don't have a child. You've made this promise to me, and I don't have a child. Maybe we already know something about empty, hollow words. Maybe we've had that experience where someone has come to us and said, I will, only they won't. Maybe someone said to us, you can count on me. But we soon discovered we couldn't. Maybe someone even spoke to you, I will always love you, but they didn't. And so it builds in us this sense of distrust, that we can only trust so much that we become guarded. We, we'll have faith, but, but we want to remain in control of our lives to some extent because we've seen it before. So we put together our plan B yeah, God, I'll, I'll trust you, but I've got my plan B. I'm going to keep one foot in faith, and I'll keep one foot with me in control. And, and, and on good days, maybe I might, I might tilt a hat toward you, but on other days, it's going to be my life because I'm not sure if I can fully trust. You know, when Abraham speaks, he repeats. We've talked about it before. Whenever we see repetition in Scripture, it's underscoring what is being communicated. And so Abraham begins somewhat politely, but clearly when he gets to the second time, when he says it again, it's pretty terse. It's pretty straightforward. When we see those words in verse 3, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Promise. What promise? All Abraham sees is an old man with his old wife. Well beyond childbearing years. And all they're doing is getting older. Maybe we've experienced some of this delayed promise thing. God promises, but what we see seems to be opposite of what God promises. There's this passage in in Luke chapter 6, just as an example, and we could look through many other examples. Luke 6, verses 35 and 36, uh, Jesus says this, and you can even hear the similarities to what God had uh, said to Abraham as well. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons and daughters of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And maybe so we've tried this. Well, God, you promised that my reward would be great. That there would be a recognition. Not a quid pro quo, we get that. That God, you would just in your grace that you would, you would graciously make my life better. Only we've loved enemies, and we're the ones who move toward people even when they're uh, not treating us well, and and we find it frustrating, and we find it depleting, and we find those situations where people are unforgiving, and, and they don't grasp, or they take advantage of us, and we go, God, how is this working out? And this delayed promise, and we hear the, th- the, the teaching, well, we know that one day Jesus returns and makes all things new, and there's going to be a, a, a new heaven, a new earth, and there won't be any more tears. And we go, great, that's great, but right now, I don't see it. Right now, all I have is Eliezer of Damascus. But then God speaks, and it says in verse 4, again, the word of the Lord came to him. In verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir. Your very son shall be your heir. And then he took him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. God reiterates his promise. Do you, know the, do you notice the double repetition. Even as Abraham complained twice, now God answers him twice. The first time in just a, a verbal affirmation. The second time, and here's where Brue, Brue, Bruegerman is really helpful. He, he, he describes it not as a sign, but as a sacrament. As a sacrament that God has not go outside and look up at the stars. Look up at the stars and, and count them, if you could even count them. And we know there's a sacrament that, that it's, it's this sign and a seal. A sign, it shows us something, but God also then taking promise and impressing that upon the sign. And then in a sacrament, God is present. So, so when we baptize someone, it's a sign, but God is putting a seal upon what that sign stands for. And then God is present in the action. When we take communion, which we all long to take communion again, when it when we can do so in a a way that honors God and is healthy for one another. And it's a sign, and then there's a seal that God is saying, you can trust. This is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood. And God is present in our taking of it. And so here, as God shows Abraham the stars, God is present in this sign. God's saying, you can trust my word. So, it's interesting what God doesn't provide. He does not provide a reasoned explanation. You often have that feeling like, God, just explain it to me so I can understand. Give me a reasoned explanation as to why you're not fulfilling your promise now. Because to me, it just seems reasonable that you would do this. He does provides no reasoned explanation. He doesn't provide an action plan. He doesn't come up to uh, a- a- Abraham and say, listen, here's, here's what I'm doing. Just so you know, here's my action plan. I'm going to work it out. Don't worry. He doesn't give him a time schedule. He doesn't go, listen, I'm going to do, in the rest of the chapter, he does talk about this 400 year period and and going on. So there is some information that he provides, but he doesn't always provide that. So we get down to verse six and it tells us, and he believed the Lord and Abraham believed the Lord. And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Something switched. Something was transformed. God gives the gift of faith. And Abraham responds to God's sacrament. Abraham responds to God's words with faith. Not just intellectual belief, but willful submission. A a, a face turned toward obedience. A, a, A coming to trust in God. He trusts the one who speaks. The one who promises. Faith as righteousness. Righteousness, the very heart of God. The very way of God. Faith as righteousness. Brueggemann describes it this way. If faith is righteousness, then we can describe righteousness this way. It's trusting God's future even while living in the barren present. Righteousness is trusting God's future even while living in the barren present. Today we've called this covenant faith. It comes to us from, uh, at least I've, we're using this phrase because further on in the text, we find that there's this description of something of some activity that was usually associated with the forming of a covenant. God says to a- Abraham, he goes, listen, I want you to get a heifer, I want you to get you a goat, a, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. I want you to cut the, the largest beast, beasts in half and spread them out. And, and we have some uh, historical evidence about when you formed a covenant that, that um, you would do this and whoever is forming the covenant would walk between the pieces as, as a way of saying, let this happen to me if I don't keep my end of it. Now, it doesn't seem as though that would apply directly to our situation because God wouldn't take that position. That, there are, that there's more going on to this text, and if we had more time, we'd we explore that more. But we know, we know, even though we may not know all the detail in the description here, we do know that this is something about forming a covenant, a, a unilaterally defined, committed relationship. Because down in verse 18, we read the words, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. All this description about land was so connected to the, the bringing forth of an heir of his own. Because the only way to have land in the future that would belong to your family was to have the heir. In this covenant of God, I'm not asking anything of you. I'm promising you, this will happen. So are you in the midst of barrenness do you have some level of scarcity in your life is there a promise that you've been expecting god to fulfill but he hasn't is there something that you think god owes you maybe have we even given up on god's promises and become and began coming up with our own eleazar of damascus our own vision for our life god invites us to faith god invites us to faith in him yes god promises it turns out god keeps promises and he applies his wisdom he applies his timing he will follow through because it's situated in the covenant you see, our faith is not just in the promises of God, but in the God who promises and keeps promises. This is covenant faith. That whether our life is going well or our life is struggling, God is God. Others have described it this way Christianity is not simply another religion, at the heart of Christianity is relationship. Christianity is relationship. Not a religion. Yes, there are practices and traditions and, and there're teachings and all. Yes, absolutely. Those exist. But at the heart of Christianity is a relationship between the creator God who makes all the stars that can't be counted coming to you and saying I promise. I promise. There's just to underscore the covenant that we have. In Hebrews, we find the author picking up what is explained in Jeremiah, and he applies it to our experience in and through Christ. In verse eight, he, uh, chapter eight of Hebrews, verse eight: "Behold, the days are coming," declares the Lord, "when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah." Down in verse ten, for this is the covenant that I will make with those of Israel after those days," declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That is covenant faith. If you've never said yes to Christ, what a great day to do it. If you've never said yes to God, said, God, I I believe, I believe, I willfully submit my life to you, You are the God of all things. I want this relationship you offer. This is a great day to do it. This is a great day to do it. In fact, why don't we pray together? Would you join with me in prayer? Father, you know the level to which we've paid attention to our faith. It could be that even some of us gathered that uh, we haven't really thought about the health of our faith in some time. That we just let it kind of be over in the corner and maybe look at it every now and then. God, would you you help us switch that kind of faith out for the the living, life-saving, God-directed faith? And for those of us that have never submitted, that, that have never said we believe Even now, we turn to you. We realize we can't do it on our own, that we're lost, that our Eliezer's of Damascus, our uh, other solutions won't get us anywhere. And we want what you promise. We want you. And so we give our lives to you right now. We just give our lives to you. We say, you're God, and we believe in you. And so, Father, if we have even prayed that today, may we know, would you let our hearts know, would you let our minds know that you count that as righteousness toward us through the work of Jesus Christ. God, wherever our lives are barren, may we see our fullness in Jesus Christ. May we see the covenant that you have with us. May we live to your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Again, thanks for being here in this room. Thanks for watching online. I invite you to go deeper into Scripture. We provide a study guide every week. It's available online through our website, through our church app. Take just a few moments, go through some of that stuff, look up some other passages. Maybe you know somebody that... that. Um, they may never listen to a message like this right now that that they'd rather have a conversation with you. Maybe you can be the one who tells them about the faith that God uh, wishes for them, that God wants for them. As we go from here, we do want you to know you are loved. You're loved. God loves you. I love you. We love you. And let's go and share that love with the people that God puts in our path. As you leave here, just a reminder, just we'll, we'll make our way out, allowing space, making sure people feel comfortable around us. And uh, I pray God's blessings on you this week. May the, the love of, of Christ, the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours. Amen.